to Tuesday at Dobbs's. Apologies from the start, if you can hear, especially on the audio, me breathing heavily. I'm just getting over a cold and I'm doing quite a significant amount, amount of mouth breathing at the moment. So apologies for the sound of my voice. Thank you as always, everyone, for getting in touch. Best place to do so, comment section below. And if you've got a longer story made with some pictures, you can email hi at tuesdayatdobbs.com. And I've also got an Instagram page, tuesday underscore at underscore Dobbs. Let's begin with a follow-on from the article I shared at the beginning of last week's episode, the Harley-Davidson Sportster clone, in reference to the SWM Stormbreaker. SWM, in essence, a Chinese company, but originally an Italian company. They have made an almost exact clone of the old Sportster that was discontinued in 2021. The horsepower, the engine size, everything, it really is an exact copy. This was very, very divisive. So I wanted to share two or three of your opinions about this Chinese copy of an American legend. I'll start with Steve. Freddie, I saw that article about the clone sportster and I just got pissed off. As a red-blooded American Harley rider from birth, it just makes me so mad that foreign companies take our designs and copy them to sell around the world to third world markets. They say imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, but I call beep. Hopefully Harley's legal department will be contacting them soon. Now remember this point. So Steve's point of view, hopefully Harley's legal department will be contacting them soon. If there is ever, or if there has ever been one thing Harley is good at, it's legal action. So I looked online for this. I wanted to try and find out, look, have Harley Davidson sold the rights to the old Sportster to SWM? I couldn't specifically find anything out online. And Andy got in touch through the comments section last week. Now this I found fascinating. So have a listen to this from Andy. Yet again, and by the way, Steve, this isn't referring to you. This is referring to me personally. Yet again, you need to do research. The parent company, SWM, is building a small Harley Davidson for sale in China and also distributes Harleys in China. In return, this is where it gets really interesting. In return, they have got the rights from Harley Davidson to build this SWM. WM Stormbreaker and they get it through emissions because it costs much less to build in China and therefore they can afford to spend the money to get it through the relevant tests. That and the fact that it's a much bigger company that sells many many times the amount of bikes across the world under various bright bike brands. They are owned directly by the Shin Rei Group, which in itself is backed by a massive holding company. And yes, I know this will never get mentioned as it's criticism and corrections, but you could at least check to verify it for yourself. Andy, I couldn't find that anywhere online. And I'll take your word for it. So Harley Davidson did sell the rights for SWM 
to build the old Sportster. One other thing I found interesting here. If I can find, <coughs> excuse me, if I can find the article, I'll put it up here. I remember reading an article from 2014 talking about the Shinrei Group buying SWM and what they were going to do initially was invest money into SWM so SWM can keep building their motorbikes in their I believe Lombardy plant in Italy and Shinrei all they'll do they'll just supply the money to SWM. Now that was about nine or ten years ago. What's happened in the meantime is that I believe to the best of my knowledge almost all of SWM's motorbikes are now built in China. And this is the way it happens. Initially, a Chinese company will get a foothold within a company buying it, give the money to that company, let them build the bikes in their own country, and slowly the manufacturing moves over to China because it's infinitely more cost-effective. And that is why, in my opinion, KTM motorcycles, within the next 10 years, I would say 95% of all KTMs will be built in China within the next 10 years. Moving on to Dolomite Fan. Freddie, there is no doubt that the quality of Chinese bikes is improving, but there's still a huge elephant in the room. Resale value. You can buy a Benelli or Lexmoto, whatever it may be, but, or whatever it may be, new, but absolutely no one will take it off you if you partex in a few years. They are worthless in the trade, sadly. I remember, and I won't, I won't mention any names, but I went to a motorcycle dealership in, in the east of England. This was about a year ago, and they have a wide range of European brands and Japanese brands that they sell. And I spoke to the owner of this company, and there was a Japanese bike around the back. And I said, oh, you work on, uh, sorry, there was a Chinese bike around the back. And I said, oh, you work on these bikes too? And he said, nope. That was a customer bringing it in, but we, we never work on Chinese bikes, so that's just in here for storage. They categorically won't take Chinese bikes in to work on. I think things are going to be changing in the near future, though. And I'll continue with, with the Dolomite fan and come back at you with this. While I do, to an extent, agree with you, residual values for Chinese bikes aren't often that strong. I do have two examples here about how things may be changing. And funnily enough, one's from an Italian brand now owned by a Chinese company. If I look at the Honda CBX 500 or CB500X here, this brand new was £6,069. And if I have a look here at the Benelli TRK502, that was £5,116 brand new. Now, after three years, How's the depreciation on these two bikes? Well, the Honda CB500X that was £6,069 is now for a three-year-old model, £4,300. And the Benelli TRK that was £5,116 is now £3,690. Meaning the Benelli has lost about £1,500 in three years and the Honda has lost about £1,700 in three years. So you can see that because the Chinese bikes start from such a low base price-wise, they actually don't lose that much money. Maybe a sign of things to come. Moving on. Oh, this is a nice, 
I actually find this quite uplifting, the, the power of joy. From Anonymous, Freddie, please don't use my name, as nobody but me knows about this episode. A few years back, I had a motorcycle crash at work. I was very lucky to walk away from a very high-energy impact. But I did suffer some injuries. However, the worst injury was to my mental health. I really was in a bad place, and it's hard to place a finger on the main reason. Whilst off work, I would walk for physiotherapy. During one of these walks, I found myself stood on a very quiet motorway over a bridge. I have no idea how I got there, but it seemed that jumping off would be an end to my mental and physical health issues and stop me being a burden on my family. As I comprehended how I would do this, two adventure motorcycles loaded with luggage passed underneath, obviously en route to a trip obviously en route to a trip somewhere. Seeing these two bikes actually shook me out of my bizarre mental state. I have no idea what it was other than thinking that I wouldn't be able to go riding on another adventure if I jumped off. I broke down and then slowly walked home. Those two riders will never know what they did for me. I've since received treatment and I'm back to being myself again. So motorcycles really did save my life. <sighs> the joy of motorbikes, the joy of freedom, the, the joy of daydreaming about, daydreaming about, seeing the world, just being at one with yourself on a bike. That is just a, a joy to read to see the end of that. Thank you for sending that in. I move on to Sundar. I need a little advice. How do you know what bike suits you? I went, and I'll put pictures up here so you've got a rough idea. I went from a Ninja 250R to a SV650S to an MT-03660 and to a Kawasaki ER6F. This was all within, get ready, six months of me buying, trading and selling. I'm unsure how to avoid this in the future and know what kind of riding you want to do. Sundar, I think I know your problem. I mean, I say problem. For one, buying and selling bikes. Uh, it's fun if you're that way inclined. Some people love it. I hate it because I'm a brilliant buyer because when I find a bike I like, I don't care really about the price. I just want to buy it, so I'm awful at haggling because I get overexcited. And when I'm selling a bike, equally I get overexcited and I just want to sell it quickly because I want a new bike. So I end up lowering the price by about 200 pounds a day until people can't believe how low the price is and think there's something wrong with it. Then no one wants it and I have to keep lowering it past that point where it's impossible to refuse. So I hate buying and selling bikes. Sundar, the problem for you is, and I really think in my eyes this is obvious, all of these bikes you've tried, in essence, in essence, they're all the same. They're all mid-level Japanese bikes. And there's nothing wrong with that, but this genre of bike clearly isn't for you. You need to try maybe a modern classic, maybe an adventure bike, or maybe a cruiser. Stick to the same budget. You can find all of these kinds of bikes for the same budget that you've spent on your bikes here. 
but you have to change genre because the second you change genre and find that bike that you love, it will click immediately. The reason I've had my Bonneville so long is because it's the first bike I ever bought where I was like, my Lord, that's it. This is me as a biker. This is the kind of bike I love. You haven't had that moment yet, Sundar, and you have to spread your wings away from the mid-level Japanese naked market. Give it a go. And let me know what you go for. Moving on to John. Freddie, my father. Ah, my father managed. Pictures up. My father managed the advertising account for BMW and Porsche in the UK. This was well before I was born. And he actually kept a copy from his favourite project in the attic for years. When I purchased my dream motorcycle last year, a BMW R1250 GS, he was reminded of this advert and how it hangs on the wall above my head. It felt like a real full circle moment. The early BMW motor ad advertising was targeted towards car drivers to show that biking can be accessible and enjoyable. Some of the adverts were quite cheeky compared to today's standards. BMW UK, on the other hand, has seen a huge decline in customer satisfaction in recent years. Once my time with my current BMW has come to an end, I will never be purchasing another. Not until they start treating their customers with some respect, that is. I love these, John. I was having a look at these because some BMW adverts are superb. I mean, I love this. You can get there in seconds and stay there for hours. The BMW R100 RS is undoubtedly a fast bike, but unlike some fast bikes, however, the thrill lasts longer than a quarter of a mile. On the RS, you can cover great distances at great speeds because the integrated fairing protects you from the bad weather and the screens you from wind pressure. So when the bike's flat out, you don't have to be. They're always classy adverts. John, what, what a job your dad had. I bet he's got many projects he's proud of. On to Mishka from Maryland, USA. I recently sold my Triumph Bonneville SE, which was undoubtedly the most unreliable bike I've owned. It was played by niggly electrical bugaboos over its 10 years. The two bikes that did make the cut include my 2012 Kawasaki Ninja 1000SX and my 2017 Motoguzzi Griso, which is quite uncommon here in the US. I love this brawny naked bike with its quirky transverse V-twin and retro cues. Lastly, sharing the garage is my... Ooh, Mishka. Ah, 1964 Pontiac GTO, which my parents bought new the year they married and brought me home from the hospital when I was born. My Lord, that's a stunner. What a garage. That Motoguzzi as well, beautiful, but something about that Pontiac, that, that is just the most special car. Right, on to Richard. My 2021 plates, Battle Green, Royal Enfield Classic 500, lives here in my kitchen, here on the Isle of Wight. And my 2022 Royal Enfield Himalayan lives in the conservatory, protected by mats due to the cat. Check out these pictures. 
The bike behind the Himalayan undercover is my brother's. I love these bikes. 2012 Triumph Bonneville 865 Steve McQueen Special Edition with just 400 miles on the clock. Oh, that is a brilliant selection. On to Richard, I move on. Freddie, this was my first back-to-bear frame. Full cafe racer, resto, on a Honda CB200. I bought it as a rusty green wreck for £480 and did a full nut and bolt restoration. I got extremely anal and replaced every nut and bolt with original new old Honda stock. Don't ask what I spent on it but I didn't do it for financial gain. Instead, I did it to learn a load of new skills which has helped with subsequent bikes. I stupidly sold it to make space for a Motoguzzi V7 racer. Looking back now, eight years on, big regret. I move on to, to proof, real proof, that the Italians can make some of the most hardy, most robust motorcycles. A bike I have never come across before, and it's about the toughest sounding bike I've never heard of. Freddie. Back in the mid-1990s, I had a Motoguzzi Nuovo Falcone 500 single cylinder. It was very popular with the police within states having access to the Sahara Desert. The reason being that this bike was extremely reliable. So reliable that people even took the engine out of the frame and used them as generators for powering up electricity in houses in remote places. I enclose a few photos of my bike from the mid-1990s, which I travelled crisscross across Europe four times, over the Alps, to the western Atlantic coastline, to the east where most countries were still inaccessible due to Soviet control, to the south, where the bike was built, and to the north, beyond the polar circle, four times. When I sold the bike, it had over 300,000 kilometers on it without any need of renovating the heart of the engine. I once pulled, to wrap it up, I once pulled a Ford Transit van out of a ditch with it. Okay, Lars, what can I get here? Let's have a look. Right, I found one. This was a bike made from 1969 to 1976, and I found one on eBay. The last production year model. 1976 Motoguzzi Nuovo Falcone 500 in classic military colours, and it's £5,995. And it, it looks really good. It's got some slight new or Royal Enfield classic 500 vibes to the utilitarian nature of it. And this is a stunning condition, almost immaculate by the looks of things. Stunning condition, classic motorbike. In the UK, no tax, no MOT, no ULES. It's going to be incredibly cheap riding. Quoting, in very good condition, restored in recent years. Is that not, is that not brilliant value and a genuine usable classic motorcycle? Very rare, found it difficult to find one. But sub 6k for that. Lars, thank you. I move on to possibly another very, very rugged bike and a bike that can do huge mileage. This is from Dwayne. Freddie, I googled 
Highest mileage sportsters, and this came up first. Try it, many more can be found. Okay, this is a video on possibly the highest mileage Harley Davidson sportster out there with 278,000 miles. Dwayne, in the US, I think a lot of people ride sportsters a long way, but in the UK, I don't think people do it as much, I should say. I think the sportsters just do not go on many trips. And someone prove if I'm wrong. If you've got a sportster in Europe with huge mileage, send it over. Let me know the mileage of it. I'll share it next week. I want to know if people in Europe actually do long distances on sportsters. And I'll try and prove a point here, Dwayne. If I type into Auto Trader, Harley Davidson Sportster, any year, any mileage, anything at all. And I've got exact lists of how many sportsters come into each mileage bracket. I can see that out of around about 2,000 sportsters, only five of them, only five, have over 30,000 miles on the clock. I.e. almost no one in the UK rides significant distances on their Harley Davidson Sportster. Please someone prove me wrong. European Harley riders, what's the biggest mileage you've got on the clocks? Dwayne, thank you. Moving on, Davey, sunny Scotland. Freddie, after passing my test in 2016 and money being tight, I ended up buying a 2003 K3 Suzuki GSXR 600, which is the last of the carburetted models with zero mod cons like ABS or traction control, and I paid 2,000 pounds. This is the only bike I've ever owned and I absolutely love it. It's my daily ride to work in the good weather. She does get tucked away for the winter and also completed the North Coast 500 a few years ago, which was amazing. This bike will stay with me forever and my oldest daughter has her eyes on it for when she has her full license. David, it's so nice seeing those, really to see these classic Japanese sports bikes on the road is getting rarer and rarer. And those color schemes, you really don't see them that much anymore. That's very, very much a bike of its time. Beautiful. Moving on to Stephen. Freddie, I don't know if you've ever seen these before, but it's a Yamaha MT-01. A 1700cc air-cooled V-twin torque sports bike. I've owned the bike since new, in 2005, so it's 19 years old, and I will never sell it. It has so much character and sounds awesome. Handles like an old school sports bike, so you have to ride it through the corners. It's never gone wrong and has only ever had the fork seals changed last year, plus I fitted a new starter motor as they do go after a while because of the effort to start that motor. Stephen, I know these well. This, this is a bike I've often thought about buying. I love the idea of it. Gigantic V-twin engine, ludicrously over-engineered bike. And they're solid money, usually five and a half to six thousand pounds for an entry level one. But I have found one because everyone is petrified of high mileage motorcycles. I found an unbelievable deal here, Stephen, unbelievable. 2005 Yamaha MT-01, 46,000 miles on the clock, and it's 
£195 and you will not find any cheaper than that. I can pretty much guarantee it. Lovely condition. The only reason here that you're paying such tiny money for a bike like this is because it's got, I'm doing speech marks here for people listening, high miles, 46,000 miles on the clock for a motorbike that's got an engine bigger than most cars now that has to lug around a fifth of the weight of a car, i.e. it's completely unstressed, is a bargain. That is no mileage at all. It's nothing at all. That's a seriously good buy. Moving on to Bojan from Slovenia. Freddie, I narrowed my bike search down to a Triumph T100 or T120, or perhaps Motoguzzi V7. Since there aren't many fans of these bikes in our country, I couldn't find a Triumph, but I did manage to find a nice Motoguzzi V7 special. And as for Slovenia, I think we're lucky to live in a really beautiful country. At only 400 kilometers from one end to the other, it offers beautiful mountains, plains, and the sea, many beautiful hidden corners, many interesting paths, stories, and excellent food. Now, I think Slovenia may be the next place I head on a European road trip. And these are, just to confirm, some of Bojan's old bikes, Kawasaki's, Honda's, now the Motoguzzi, and the stunning open scenery. It's like going back in time. It's all so open, beautiful. Moving on, bikes in the living room. This is from, oh well, bikes in the living room. How do people get around it? I begin with the Geordie monkey. Keeping my Honda monkey in the sitting room, it was even my Christmas tree until a few days ago, decked out in festive lights. I'm single and live a hassle-free life. Where's Monica? Good, she's not here. The Geordie monkey, that just sounds glorious. That free life where you can do what you want. You get home from work, you ride your motorbike into the living room, you sit down, you make food whenever you want, you tidy up whenever you want, you can be watching TV ahead of you, you can have a can of beer there, eating your food off your lap, you tidy whenever you want, and you don't have to have anyone in your ear saying you need to clear up and get that damn bike out of the sitting room. It sounds absolutely glorious. Glorious. Moving on to the McV. I, oh, here's another one. I used to keep my 1100 Katana in my living room. I got it past my wife by agreeing to allow her to keep her 750 Bonneville in the dining room. Just, what a couple. On to Aurelia. Freddie, I passed my test in 1998 at the same time as my husband. I bought, all bikes pictured as I speak, I bought a Kawasaki ZXR 400 as my first bike and he bought a CBR600F and we would do rides out together up until 2001 when I found out I was pregnant with our daughter and I sold my bike. 20 years later, with our daughter off to university, my husband bought a bike again and I decided to give riding another go. 
So this is our second go at being motorcyclists. The bike I chose was a Kawasaki Z400 and my husband now has an Interceptor 650, Kawasaki, sorry, Interceptor 650 and Ducati Monster SP. And my other bike is a Honda Monkey called Clyde. I've done over 5,000 miles on it and we've just booked a holiday to take our bikes to Normandy in June and I also plan to do a trip to the Ducati Museum in Bologna, Italy with, with my husband on his Ducati Monster. I can't praise the little 400 enough and the freedom and life that it's given me and the freedom and life it's given me back. It really is a fun bike to ride. Aurelia, so you've gone from having no bikes at all to having four motorcycles, I assume, in the garage. You must have had to do the most colossal garage clear up to be able to fit four motorcycles in there. Welcome back to biking. And I love that old pic from what, 20 years or so ago of your old Kawasaki. Beautiful. Moving on to Kim. Freddie, just wondering what your thoughts are on high mileage bikes. I've got a 2016 BMW 1200RT, iconic limited edition. It's got full BMW options list and the color is limited to one of only 100 made. But dealers are reluctant to part exit as it's got 60,000 miles on the clock and you can see in the pictures it's well looked after, full BMW service history. One dealer, however, one dealer offered me £4,000. So I'm keeping it as it's a great bike, but I just fancied something a bit smaller as I'm coming up to retirement. Kim. Kim, I'm not surprised because these bikes were £18,800 when they were new in 2016. That's with no options at all. You'd easily go over £20,000. But everyone, especially dealers, Everyone is scared off by high mileage motorcycles, so it's brilliant if you're looking to buy these bikes and you're happy to buy high mileage bikes, but it is awful if you're looking to sell a high mileage motorbike because no one wants them. People just get so scared. So if you would have paid over 20K back in 2016, you're getting offered 4K from dealers and I'm just not surprised because I've heard this so many times with high mileage bikes, weirdly, especially BMWs. I can go on to Auto Trader now, for example, Kim, and easily find a 2017 model of your bike, 51,000 miles on the clock, for 6.5k. So my guess is, even if you sell it privately on Facebook Marketplace, you're not going to get more than 6k or so for it. And for the hassle saved selling it to a dealer on Partex at 4k, I'd probably still put it on Facebook Marketplace, but... In reality, I would probably, Kim, do what you do and just keep it because that is a lot of bike that you'd be selling for small, small money. And I wrap it up with Bike of the Week coming from Dave. And another bike, another Italian bike I've never heard of. Italian bikes, if you buy the right one, they can be as long-lived as any other motorbike. I have no doubt at all about it. I begin... Italian V-Twin, a thousand cc adventure bike with 98 horsepower, luggage and 
if well looked after, a totally dependable engine for less than two grand. Anyone guess? Anyone have any idea? I'll tell you. I give you the Aprilia ETV 1000 Caponord. When released, these were totally overlooked in the adventure bike category by the big brand snobs, which means you can pick them up for buttons. I bought my 2003 bike a couple of years ago for £1,800. Mine has over 50,000 miles on the clock and it runs like a Swiss watch. I've been looking for a new bike recently, but every time I think, why? Why spend four or five thousand pounds when I have an ideal do-it-all bike here? Dave. Okay, Dave, let's have a look. What can I find for the bike of the week for people to consider? Facebook Marketplace, 2002. Easy to find this. 2002 Aprilia Caponord 1000. The cost? hasn't gone up at all in the past few years, £1,900. I mean, this is the perfect recipe for a, a brilliant touring or adventure bike. The 1,000cc Italian V-Twin with 98 horsepower, and this comes with full luggage. Nothing needed here to do to it. Let me just read this out, and I'll wrap it up with this. Aprilia Caponord, only 22,000 miles on the clock, MOT till May 2024, very, very good condition for age, recent full service with receipt to prove that's £300 very recently spent, heated grips, USB power, three luggage racks and three luggage boxes included, very comfortable tourer. What a great left field choice there. I like it very much. Dave, thank you. And thank you so much, everyone, for listening and watching this week's episode. Have a brilliant week all. And I'll speak to you all in the next one.